So there is a recurring conversation in the Vanderveer household between me and my sons where it's usually I'll ask them to do something and they may say something back to me along the lines of, but I don't want to do X, Y, or Z. And to which I respond, well, good news. You don't have to want to, you just have to do it. So that, that's good news because they already have everything that's required. They, they don't have to have the want to or the, the feelings. They just have to obey. And so the, let me ask real quick, is there something I can do with this to not ring? I didn't know what to do because I'm wearing a sweater. I didn't have a button to pinch it to. Am I okay? Should I step back? Does that help any? I'll just keep going. Okay. Uh, so, yes, that's good news for them, and I hope it's good news for you too, because if you've ever heard a command of the Lord or that you've read or that you've heard him in your time in prayer or the thoughts that he's brought to your mind and you've thought, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> the good news is you don't have to want to. You just have to obey. And here is the shocking surprise is that he's already provided everything that you need for obedience. So there's hope for us who don't always want to obey the Lord for us in 1 John. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. And I'm going to try something crazy here. I'm going to try to cover five verses. And I fully, I almost expect Dan to go back and re-preach one or two of these. Because uh, there's no way I'm going to capture everything. But there's a phrase in verse 1 and a phrase in verse 5 that are like bookends. So I wanted to get the whole thought out. So we start in... First, I'm just going to read all five verses, and let's open our hearts and let the Lord say what he wants to say. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Y'all pray with me. Lord God, what a beautiful passage. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to focus on you right now. Lord, we love you. And we acknowledge your presence here in this place and abiding in us right now. And we acknowledge your desire to reveal yourself to us and to change us forever. So we just invite that. And Lord, will you please uh, scatter?
scour away out of our hearts anything that's getting in the way of what you want to say to us this morning. We expectantly wait for you to speak by your Spirit, through your Word. And please don't let me get in the way. Let it be your words and your thoughts, please. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 5, verse 1. Let's break this down piece by piece. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so everyone who believes. The word believes right there is actually, a, it's a present active participle. So what that means is I want to encourage you to scribble in a little ing next to the believes because it could be translated everyone who is believing that it's sort of, this is the present state of ongoing action of these people. Everyone who is believing. It's a present verb. And I put a little graphic up here of the difference between, and y'all have seen this before, but this is the difference between a present tense verb in Greek. The one at the top is a present tense, that there's an action that just keeps on going. It's a continuous, ongoing thing that's happening now and continues. That's present. And then the bottom one, that's a perfect tense verb. And I'll get to that one in just a minute. But right now, the, everyone who is believing, that's a present tense. This is, he's going to make a statement about people who are believing. Should I use a handheld? any better? Kind of? There it is. Okay. So all I've said so far is everyone, the subject of this sentence in verse one is people who go on believing, present tense verb. And what is he saying about them? Or sorry, what is, what are they believing? They're believing that Jesus is the Christ, which is a little bit more than just believing in Jesus. It's believing that Jesus really is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Christ. That means people who believe that Jesus really is the long-awaited fulfillment of all of God's plans, the long-awaited, anointed by the Spirit of God, King People who believe that Jesus is that king, which by the way, if you believe he is that king, you're likely to surrender to him as your king and follow him. So the subject of this sentence are legitimate followers of Christ. These are legitimate believers who go on believing this about who Jesus is and their life is lined up with that. What is he saying about that? What is he saying about people who believe, who go on believing that Jesus is the Christ? He says that everyone who is believing that has been born of God. 
has been born of God. Has been born is a perfect tense verb in Greek. And that's this bottom one where there's something that happened in the past. That's the dot right there. Something that happened in the past that is unshakably anchored in the past. It did happen. But it's a completed action in the, fa- in the past with right there. The square is an, a state of being right now that is ongoing that is resulted from the completed action in the past. So the perfect tense verb here of has been born of God means they were born of God. There was a point in time when they experienced new birth. And as a result, they are changed right now and experiencing the ramifications of that change. And what are the ramifications of that change back there of the new birth? The ramifications right now is they are believing. They are believing. And so it's at least implied that there is a causality here. That you have a, a present tense verb of believing and a perfect tense verb of being born. Why is everyone who's believing believing? Why? Because they were born again. Because they experienced new birth. Every legitimate believer has the same origin and the same cause for their believing. And it's that they were born from God or of God. And by the way, this is a perfect passive verb. So someone who is born again does not birth themselves. They are passive in it. They have been born. Somebody else did it. No newborn baby has ever emerged and said, I did it. No. They were passive in this. And so what we have so far is everyone who goes on believing, it's because something happened to them that they had nothing to do with. They did not bring it about. So there is no way that anybody can take any pride in how they are believing now or how they were birthed in the beginning because it was an act of God. So he's setting the stage here for me as a believer who was born again has no standing, no no grounds for any sort of pride over anyone else who was also born and now believing. I'm not believing any better than anyone else because of something that I have done. And I wasn't born because of something I had done. He's leveling the playing field. Of all who were born. He says everyone who. Is believing that Jesus is the Christ. Has been born of God. And. So here's the implicate. Here's the uh, uh, ramification of that. And everyone who loves. And again I want you to scribble in a little ing on loves. Because this again is a present. Part, active participle 
that it is everyone who is loving. Everyone who is loving the Father loves whoever has been born of him. You see what he's saying? He's saying if you're believing, it's because you were born of God. And therefore, you will be loving everyone born of him. Not thinking you're better than or more entitled than anyone else who has also been born. And by the way, when you see the word father there in verse 1, the word father is not actually in the Greek the word there is the same verb for born of God. So where it says born of God, that's passive. That's I as the believer was born. But here where you see father, it's actually the active form of that verb. That it says, and whoever is loving the one who birthed him or begat him, the one who gave him new birth. So he's connecting the two. Like how it's the most natural thing in the world for the one who is born to love the one who gave birth. And he's saying, yeah, that's so natural for the the begot to love the begetter. That's, it's, it's, that's the verb form here. Instead of the word father, it's the begetter would be a more literal. He's connecting those to see, it, yeah, it makes perfect sense that I would be loving. I was born and just received it. And it's the most natural thing in the world for me to love the begetter. He says, everyone who loves the begetter Loves also. It's unfortunate that the ESV doesn't have the word also because there is the word also in Greek right after the word loves. And it comes off like a comparison. The way that you love the Father, you should also, it should be just as natural to love everyone who was born of him because we're all of the same family. We're all brothers and sisters. And so, everyone who loves the begetter loves all the other borns also. The the principle simply stated is something like, the child loves the children. The child of God loves the children of God. And the word loves there, again, that's a, that's a present tense verb. It's a present active indicative. That just means it's this ongoing reality. It is a statement of fact. This is important here. That it doesn't say everyone who loves the Father should love everyone else born of God. It doesn't say that. This is a statement of fact. Everyone who loves the begetter loves also everyone else born of him too. 
he, John just puts it out there and let, lets it hang out there. That, that loves is a, this is a statement of fact. So what do we do? If this is the statement of fact, that we love the other children, then what do we call the thoughts that I have and the feelings that I have like I don't love them. I don't want to drop what I'm doing and help them right now. I don't want to serve my brother or sister. What do we call all those thoughts? Those are lies, right? If you are born of God, you love everyone born of God. That is the truth. That's the true reality of your new birth, your new nature. It might be buried under a whole lot of layers of lies that we have to keep peeling back, but that's the true you. The new birth that you have received by the Spirit of God, if you are born of Him, you do love the children of God. And how, how is this possible? How can an enemy of God like myself, a born enemy of God, born wicked to the core, how can I love all the children of God? The way I can do it is because the seed of God is strong. Do y'all remember how it said it in First uh, John chapter three, verse nine? It says, "No one born of God does sin, for God's seed abides in him. God's seed abides in him." So when I was born of God, what happened is. I, as a passive recipient, was simply born again. What God did actively was he put his spirit inside of me. The seed is Christ himself. He abides in me. And I experienced new birth. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and your sins. He was buried in the ground and he rose and he defeated everything that separates us from God. And now the same power that raised him from the dead came to live inside of me, came to live inside of you. And he is strong. And he takes over and he transforms. He remakes us. The old you with the old desires dies and he continually makes new his life and his desires in us. 
This is how an enemy of God can be reborn and can actually love the children of God. Because Jesus who lives inside of you is strong. That means there's no place for pride in the family of God. That I don't get to say, I'm content with just loving God and being a jerk to my brothers and sisters. Or when there's a need, but I just sat down and started the game or the show that I'm not going to get up and serve. I don't get to do that. I don't get to say, I'm fine with me receiving all the love and service of God, but I want to bottleneck it and not pass it on to my brothers and sisters. I don't get to do that. I don't get to think that I'm more more deserving of it as if I am the favorite of God and no one else is. There's no favoritism with God. Now, okay, that, there's no favoritism with God. That's biblical. And, and also, uh, when I think about favoritism, I think maybe God does have favorites. He just has about 8 billion favorites. Like, when, you th- when somebody asks me which one is my favorite son... Everybody has one, but you can't say it out loud. I'm, I'm just kidding. I really don't. I really don't. Like whenever, whenever human parents play favorites, it doesn't work out well. Because if I choose one to shower all of my love and affection and energy and attention on, I'm going to run out. I have limited capacity and resources. What if you have a being who has unlimited resources to shower with love and attention and affection and life. What you have is a God with about 8 billion favorites, where he has the ability to make each one of us feel like he only has eyes for you, for me. But he has that with all of us. The point is, none of us gets to sit back and just receive the love of God and not let it flow out of us and say, I get to receive it all because I'm the favorite. That's not how it works in the family of God. Everyone who loves the begetter loves all whom he begot. So the problem is, what if I don't love all the children of God? Because he just said, if you're a child of God, you're going to love all the children of God. So what if I don't? What if my experience is that I don't? I must not be a child of God. So, So whether or not I'm a child of God... I need to figure this out. And the stakes are pretty high. So how can I know? Is there, is there a test that can tell me 
for sure. Yes, I am a child of God or no, I am not. Yes, I am loving or no, I am not. Yes, there is a test. Look at verse 2. By this we know. So he's saying there is objective evidence. There is proof. By this we know what? That we love. And again, this is present active indicative. That we are the kind that go on loving the children of God. This is how we know. Because that's the question. When I look at my life and my experience. Am I loving the children of God or not? Because if I'm not, I'm not a child of God, right? So, what's the test? What's the proof on if I'm loving the children of God or not? By this, we know that we love the children of God when or if we love God and obey His commandments. And it says when, it could say if, uh, this is, these are subjunctive verbs, which means they could say that we may love or we might love God. The, the idea is that this is a hypothetical. These things are not necessarily true. Love and obey. If they are true, then the first part of the statement is true. This is the test. How do we know that we actually love? Well, if these things do happen, that we love God and obey his commandments. And this, I think, is just fascinating because the question is, how do I know if I love the children of God? A more intuitive test would be, well, how much time are you spending with your brothers and sisters? How much have you sacrificed for them? How much have you served them that we look at them? But he doesn't do that. He goes, and he makes the, he turns our eyes up to God. This is the test on if you're loving one another. First, love God. It has to start there. Whenever Kristen and I are in these seasons where we're kind of bickering at each other and getting a little snippy, it is almost laughably consistent that whenever that happens, at least one of us is not reading our Bible regularly. Or that we're having sloppies. I had a friend that called them sloppies. Whenever you you go, oh, I got five minutes. You open your Bible and you go, okay, good enough. That's a sloppy. So whenever, uh, but it's almost inevitable that whenever we're button heads, when we're not loving each other, that it's because one of us doesn't have this right. It's usually me, okay? But he says, this is how you know that you love one another. First, it's love God. And then again, he flips it again because you would expect him to go, okay, I got it. Yes, we have to love God. And man, the love of God is so overwhelming and overpowering that it comes and it doesn't just, we, we can't just soak it up. It overflows the banks of our hearts and our lives to people around us. If we're actually seeing him for who he is, actually loving him, actually spending time with him, actually seeing him, it will overflow. And so now we expect, yeah, that's right. The test is love God and the next thing is love each other, right? No, it doesn't say that. Look at what the test is. The test is when we love God and obey his commands. 
And that's like a record scratch in my mind. Like, what? Why? How does this relate? Well, notice what he's doing. He's equating, or maybe not equating, at least there's a very strong connection and correlation between loving one another and obeying his commands. When you ask yourself the question, what's the connection between loving one another and obeying the commands? Some of you are thinking of what Jesus said. That all of the law and the prophets are summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Or like it says in Romans Romans 13, 8 through 10, the one who loves the loves another, has fulfilled the law. For the commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And love is the, is the fulfilling of the law. The basic idea here is if you are obeying the commands of God, you will be loving one another. Galatians 5.14 says, The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then the more you read the New Testament, the focus narrowed to it's not just loving your neighbor, it's loving your brother and your sister, believers also born of God, which is a little broader than just your neighbor. I mean, a little more specific than just your neighbor. As it says in Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And remember, Jesus said, They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And you look at, The Acts 2 church. I love their evangelism program is very understated or more consequential because the whole focus of the early church was how they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, real life in each other's homes and the temple. They're sharing everything to where nobody has any needs and they're watching the Spirit of God go to work. They're awing after God. And they're praising Him. And what happened at the tail end of that? Daily, God was adding to their number. If we obey the commands of God, we're going to end up loving our neighbor and more specifically, loving our brothers and sisters in the family of God who have also been born of God, who have experienced new birth. And notice in this test, verse 2 is the test of how do I know if I'm actually loving my brothers? Notice the word that doesn't show up anywhere is feeling. There's no notion of, I, I better have 
the test is not, do you feel warm and fuzzy when you think about your brother and sister? Which is really good news again. Because I know that there's times whenever, like your actual physical brother and sister, I know there's times that you don't feel like loving them. I know that there's times when you don't feel like loving your parents. I know there's times you don't feel like loving your children. I know there's times that you don't feel like forgiving your spouse. And if the feelings were the test, then we would all have plenty of reason to spiral downward into crippling depression and doubt our salvation and give the whole thing up. But this is not the test. The test is not, do you feel warm and fuzzy towards your brothers and sisters? The test is, do you love God? Do you obey his commands? And for some of you, that I just made it worse. Because you think, obey the commands of God? That's hard work. That's, you might even call it burdensome. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 3, he's going to define love for us. This is the love of God. You could put an equal sign there in the word, in place of the word is. The love of God is that we keep his commandments. There is no such thing as saying, I love God, but I don't obey his commands. With the Bible, with God, love is action. He demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if the test is I've got to obey his commands, that is discouraging because that's hard work and burdensome. Well, look at what it says. And his commandments are not burdensome. I love it. Burdensome here could be translated severe or harsh, like a harsh taskmaster. And he's saying these commands are not burdensome. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. The one who lives inside of you and is remaking himself in you and through you. Do you remember what he said when he said, come to me? That's right. A yoke is easy. My burden is light. Obeying the commands of God with the indwelling Christ is not burdensome. It is light. And how specifically 
How specifically do we bear that burden? How specifically do we get past ourself and our old flesh so that we can obey the commands? It gives us specifically in verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes. This again is that present tense verb, overcomes, that this is just a statement of fact. Everyone born of God, statement of fact, overcomes in an ongoing way the world. Everything in the world, the evil powers behind it, and all the fleshly and habitual and old memories of our past, the temptations, everything that is trying to get us to serve self, the believer overcomes. The one who's been born again overcomes. How? It says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith is the way that we overcome. Aren't you glad that that word right there says our faith and not our work or our feelings? Or our religion. The way we overcome is our faith. Now, lest you get discouraged again because you think, I don't have much faith. I've tried to muster it before and I can't. I'm not very good at it. I have more good news for you. And I have to dig in a little bit deeper to the Greek. Verse 4, it says, for everyone who, and that word, some translations, the ESV didn't help you out here. More literally, it doesn't say for everyone who, or whoever. More literally, it's whatever. For whatever. It's a, it's not masculine or feminine, it's neuter. And whenever the neuter is used there, it's to broaden the scope. It's a collective whole that includes people, masculine and feminine, and things. It's an all-encompassing word. Now, why would he broaden the circle when he's saying, why would he say whatever that has been born of God overcomes the world. Why would he want us to think of something that overcomes the world that's more than just me and you? This victory that has overcome the world is not of me and you. Our faith. Thank you for that expression. That helps me know I need to clarify. The 
it doesn't say for everyone who has been born of God. It says whatever has been born of God. So that we know he's not just talking about people. He's opening the door to include something in that group. Is it true that we who have been born of God overcome the world? Yes. And that we have victory? Yes. But it's also true that our faith is born of God and overcomes the world. So if you're saying, I'm struggling to come up with faith, the good news is it is born of God and a gift to you. Just like you were born and had nothing to do with it, faith is born of God and from God and given to you, and you have nothing to do with that either. It's a gift. This is good news. Whatever has been born of God, including our faith, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. It's not our work. It's not our feelings. It's our faith that's a gift from God that gives us victory over the world and over our self-serving inclinations, remnants of our past desires. It's our faith that he gives. So who gets to partake of this faith and this overcoming? Look at verse five. Who is it that overcomes? Again, you can put a little ING. Who is it that is overcoming, that goes on overcoming the world, if not except the one who is believing, who goes on believing that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to know who overcomes? It's not the one who feels like he loves his brother and sister all the time. The one who overcomes is the one who is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And do you remember where we started in verse 1? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And here, the one who overcomes is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. These two truths about God and who, about Jesus and who he is are what we believe. Jesus is the Christ, which means he is the ultimate king, the ultimate authority to submit to and surrender to and to follow. And Jesus is the son of God. He is the divine son of God, meaning he is God. He is the ultimate king and he is the ultimate God. This is what we believe. And this is how we overcome. So whenever God gives you a command either through something you read or something you're told or a conviction in your spirit when you're being a jerk to your spouse, whenever you, whenever he gives you a command and you're thinking, I don't feel like it. The way you overcome in that moment is not try harder to obey, not feel soft and fondly for this person. It's believe. 
Believe who Jesus is. That he is the ultimate king and he is God and he lives inside of me. If he's abiding in me, then that love that he's given cannot be contained. I've got to believe that even when I'm not feeling that. And that faith that he gives is what gives the victory that I would overcome. And then I would love my brother and sister. So let me just back up one step here as I close. Remember where we started that perfect tense verb? Everyone who has been born of God. If you're thinking, man, I don't know if I love my brother and sister. Have you been born again? Let's start there. Surrender. To Jesus who is the Christ. Say, I'm I'm done trying. I'm done living my life. I want you to live your life. Through me. Let's start there. Receive new birth. The seed of God. His spirit indwelling you. Person of Christ through the spirit. Living in you. Let's start there. And then. Let's believe who he really is. King. Risen. Victorious king. With resurrection power living in you. What can stop me from loving my brother? If that's true. If you don't want to love your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your spouse. If you don't want to, you don't feel like it. Fear not. Obedience is yours through faith. And he even gives you that. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord God. Thank you. For showing us love. And being love. And coming to live inside of us. Thank you for calling me your son. Lord, thank you for not settling for just calling me a son, but that you actually make me a son. You make me like you. And you sanctify me. And you fill me with your love to overflowing. Lord, help us just believe. John is not going to let us off the hook on this. He's going to keep hammering. Believe, believe, believe. So will you help us, Lord? Will you give us faith? We'll trust you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.